So in her book, 1991 book, Gender Trouble, Judith Butler advanced the argument that gender isn't something you are, it's something you do. She said there is nothing intrinsic to masculinity or femininity. Femininity. I don't know why I can't say that word. (laughs) Femininity. Gender, rather, she says, is, quote, real only to the extent that it is performed, end quote. You act in ways that correspond to society's constructed ideal of a particular gender identity. This idea has caught fire in our culture today. It's now common to hear people proclaim that there is nothing inherent, natural, or essential in men and women that causes them to behave differently. It's just a societal construct. It's just, it just has to do with actions and what you do. And yet, there is a tension here because people actually talk and behave as if men and women really are different. <laughs> Deep down in the fabric of our natural inclinations, particularly when we come to the topic of femininity, how commonly do we hear statements such as, you know, there's nothing like a mother's love. Or she brought a woman's touch to the situation. A few years ago, the ride-sharing company Uber was in the news uh, because of allegations of sexual harassment throughout their management chain. And they admitted that they have too much of a macho, competitive work culture. What's the solution? Well, they want to get more women in leadership. Business experts are telling them they need more emotional intelligence and humanity in their company. And the assumption is that women are the ones who can bring these qualities. So when the rubber... Sonia's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so when the rubber hits the road... It seems like folks actually think the differences between women, men and women aren't just real, but good and helpful to embrace. Which begs the question, what is really distinct deep down about women? And if there is such a thing as femininity, should women aspire to it? Should men honor and treasure it? So we're going to keep studying God's word to answer these questions. And in case you're wondering why a man is teaching the class, it gets right to the very idea that we've been studying, which is that God has created men and women equally in his image with equal dignity, equal worth, but he has given us different dispositions with different roles to play in certain contexts. And the Bible is clear that in the context of formal teaching within the gathered church, men are to exercise leadership by giving that teaching. Thus, I am up today before you teaching this portion of the class. But it also says we have much to learn from women in any number of settings settings and formats. And so at the end of class today, I'm going to interview Cheryl Ziegler so that we can learn from her experience in seeking to live out God's design for femininity. I have said femininity correctly three times now. Appreciate, appreciate four times. Well, I did. You're right. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm on a roll. So last week <clears throat> we studied Genesis one through three and Proverbs thirty-one. Today we're going to start with a summary statement that you'll see there in your handout, and then spend our time unpacking it by looking at several other scripture passages. Biblical femininity is displayed in a gracious disposition to cultivate life, to help others flourish. And to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. 
That's kind of a wordy definition, I know. Notice from that first phrase that we're summarizing femininity here. Trying to identify how it's displayed, what's distinct about it. As we've stressed in the past weeks, men and women are equally created in the image of God, Genesis 1. We are co-heirs of redemption in Christ. There is no male or female, as Galatians 3 says. Neither gender is superior or more spiritually worthy. Still, we are distinct. So, this definition aims to highlight what is distinct about women. And we're using, of course, the Bible as our authoritative guide, which is why we're not talking about American femininity, modern femininity, traditional femininity. It really is hard. But seeking what is universal in God's design. And that will, of course, be played out in different, that will, of course, be played out with different nuances in different cultures. And we're saying, what we're saying, that femininity involves a gracious disposition designed by God. Women should feel this disposition or inclination or propensity to express their femininity in these ways. And we're calling it a gracious disposition because when women live within the grain of God's design, they really become a fountain of grace to others. They shower others with blessing and they beautify the world God has created. It's really the case for both sexes, uh, both genders. When we live within the grain, within the design of what God has designed for us, we just are a blessing to others, a significant blessing. And it's good for us too. So what does this gracious disposition involve? We're going to look at three things. Excuse me. First, it's a disposition to cultivate life. It's a disposition to cultivate life. We touched on this last week. Let's just make sure we're clear. Look at Genesis 3.20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The name Eve is related to the Hebrew word for life. You'll recall that Adam was created from the ground, called to work, keep the garden, and when he sinned, the ground was cursed. Eve was created from the man, called to be a helper to the man, so that they could be fruitful and multiply, and when she sinned, childbearing was cursed. In other words, Adam's design parallels more uniquely to God's working of forming the first three days of creation. Eve's design, on the other hand, corresponds more uniquely to God's work of filling creation on days days four through six. We observe that while both genders are called to work and exercise dominion, and both are involved in relationships, these texts suggest that men are more characterized by a working disposition while women are more characterized by a relational disposition. Now, this proclivity in women to cultivate life is most uniquely seen in childbearing. God made only Eve able to do that, not Adam. But remember, Eve's name name doesn't mean birth. It means life. And the impulse to cultivate life in others is a universal feminine trait, not restricted to biological mothers. Just recall the woman in Proverbs 31. She gives life not only to her children, but to others around her. She feeds the poor. She speaks words of wisdom to whoever hears. 
she strengthens her husband. Or Titus chapter 2, Paul calls older women to the life-giving work of training younger women in godly living. Or listen to 1 Timothy 5.10 where Paul gives the qualifications for widows to receive support from within the church. They include things like this. She has shown hospitality. She has washed the feet of the saints. She has cared for the afflicted. She has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, she has given life to the saints and to her neighbors. And this holds true whether a woman is young or old, single or married, right? I praise God for the women in this church who consistently and selflessly cultivate life in others. I have spoken with women who said, I've grown so much as a Christian as a result of Nikki McClyman spending time with me reading and discussing God's word. I've been so helped as a Christian through being vulnerable and talking with Mary Margaret Larson. How many of our in our body have had their bellies filled after having a baby or during sickness by the hospitality of so many different ladies in this congregation, right? How many date nights have my wife and I been able to go on before our kids were old enough, praise God, to be left alone because women like Heather Fick or Sarah Norton offered to be there and spend time with them? How blessed is Naomi, Phoebe, and Abby because Chris Munger has read and discussed multiple rich books with them during COVID-19? This can take on many, many forms, right? If you're a woman, how wonderful and beautiful that God has designed you to be a life giver in any number of ways consistent with your personality, your gifts, and your season of life. Now closely related to this point is our next point. Femininity involves a gracious disposition to help others to flourish. On the second page of your handout. So Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's talk about what this does mean and clarify what it doesn't mean. It does mean, for starters, that the woman was designed to image God, who is often described as the helper and sustainer of his people. Psalm 70, verse 5, quote, But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay, end quote. So when women strengthen, comfort, minister to, serve, uplift, encourage, renew, nurture, and revive others, They are displaying the character of our helping God. The greatest help God has given us in sending us, the greatest help that God has given us is in sending us his own son to live a perfect life, die on the cross as a substitute sacrifice, and rise again to salvation to all who trust him. So when women help others, they are subtly yet beautifully pointing to that ultimate act of the love of God which he has shown us in his son. That's a glorious privilege, right? That's a glorious privilege. This inclination to help others flourish does not mean in any way that women are inferior to men or that that what women do in the home, the church, or the world is of lesser value. This also doesn't mean that all women help others in the same ways. 
It's on this point that the distinction we've been making between the Bible's prescriptive commands and the Bible's descriptive demands uh, teaching can be very helpful, right? By the way, Sarah Norton gave me this mug. Sarah, where are you? I love it when you give me mugs. 500th year anniversary of Reformation. Mm. That nurtured life somehow in my soul. Sure did encourage me. Uh, in Genesis 2, uh, I, I really, I just totally lost myself. Um, okay, I got it now. In Genesis 2, Eve was called to be Adam's helper in a prescriptive formal sense. God gave him authority in their marriage and called Eve to follow Adam's lead and provide the help he desperately needed in order to fulfill God's creation mandate. So we can call this kind of helping, helping with a capital H, okay? In marriage, this feminine helping disposition becomes formalized in a relationship of joyful submission to a husband's leadership and authority. But the Bible speaking descriptively and informally in broad and general terms, we shouldn't be surprised to find that women express this helpful inclination with a lowercase h in all sorts of other settings and contexts. It will vary from woman to woman and culture to culture, but this proclivity to provide helpful, supportive, uplifting care to others isn't a switch that only gets flipped on when a gal puts on a wedding ring. Okay? I hope that makes sense to you. God has designed women to express this trait in various different ways. You could think of Rahab and the help she offered the Hebrew spies in Joshua 2. Everybody remember that story? She harbored them and protected them. You could think of Esther who boldly risked her life to help fulfill Mordecai's plan to undo a plot of genocide against the Jews. You can think of other women enlisted, uh, listed in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. In Greek, the others is feminine, meaning other women, and they provided for Jesus' physical and financial needs. In other words, women in the Bible don't just cook meal or heal bruises or provide emotional care. They are savvy and give money to help the gospel advance. And you can think of Phoebe. In Romans 16.1, who Paul describes as a patron of many and of myself as well. In other words, likely a financial supporter of the Apostle Paul. And I believe a deacon in the church uh, in Rome as well. Uh, so what we're seeing here is that helping others flourish has nothing to do with weakness. This is actually a way of sum summarizing feminine strength. That women... I've just listed could be described not just as godly or beautiful in character, but also tough, persistent, shrewd, wise, and radically committed to God's glory and the good of others. Here's how Abigail Dodds writes about this idea of women helping others flourish at Desiring God's website. It's a long quote. It's a bit poetic because it's on Desiring God's website, so it has to be poetic and wordy. But listen and see if she captures something distinct about femininity. Quote, <clears throat> The unique influence of a godly woman is in transforming things. Of course, men transform things too, yes, but Dodds is talking about how a woman will inevitably transform things in a feminine way. She goes on. In this transformative role, whether single or married, 
A woman mimics her Savior. Like him, she submits to God's will. And also like him, God uses her to take what was useless on its own and shape it into glory. Dirty things clean. Chaos turned into order. An empty kitchen overflowing with life and food. Children in want of knowledge and truth and a mother eager to teach. A husband in need of help and counsel and a wife fit to give it. Friends and neighbors with a thirst for the truth and a woman opening her home and heart to share it with them. When the Bible commands feeding, nourishing, training, and love, a godly woman sets to the task, enhancing and beautifying everything around her, end quote. That's a lovely quote. So praise God, that's true of women here at Redeeming Grace, true. Right? That is true of so many women here at Redeeming Grace. What a wonderful picture. We just pause, uh, give you opportunities to ask questions if you have any questions on your mind before we keep going. What questions do you have? Anything? No questions on your mind? Okay, let's roll. Let's turn to the final section of our summary. You just want to hear, hear Cheryl Ziegler. Mm-hmm. All right, so final section of our summary. Uh, to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. The context we're thinking of here, so the you know, particular contexts, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about two specific contexts. Marriage and the church. We're going to look at passages about the church in later weeks. Let's consider a couple of passages on marriage. First, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 and 33. I'm just going to read you the text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in those verses, we see that wives are called to submit to and respect their husbands. Now to some, this sounds like an archaic command to have military-like compliance to a man, regardless of what he says. As we're going to see, I don't think that's what the Bible intends The word submit means to place oneself under another's authority. In marriage, this means that a wife recognizes that God has placed her husband over her as her spiritual head or leader. She's called to trust her husband as the one whom God has commanded to lead, guide, protect, and provide for her. And in this, she shows the world a picture of of the church's relationship to Christ, right? That's a very beautiful thing. A husband's authority isn't ultimate. It is delegated. It is partial. He answers to God. And so when a woman follows her husband's leadership, she is very much following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't easy because her husband's not perfect like Jesus is. And neither is she. (laughs) Uh, That means if you're a wife, one of your regular acts of worship is to trust that God's plan for you to submit 
even to a fallen husband, is for God's glory and for your good. And that's a good thing, but that's not always easy. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking what leadership and submission look like in the home. Uh, The summary is that it looks like two equal partners moving with different steps in a dance, all to do one another good and all to bring glory to God. This is not primarily about some 1950s or 1850s stereotype of marriage. Uh, After all, Paul was writing to the church in the first century in Asia, right? Uh, But he is writing God's vision for marriages of all times, even if the application of it may look nuanced, may have nuanced differences in nuanced, uh, may have nuanced differences in different cultures. Paul's writing and the Bible's word is a transcultural and a universal teaching, okay? But a wife isn't just called to submit. The woman in Proverbs 31 isn't primarily celebrated for being submissive. That's just assumed. Rather, what's notable is how she compliments her husband and makes him better while blessing her family. That's why we're using the phrase, affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership. Expressing femininity in marriage means leveraging whom God has made you as a woman to build up, strengthen, encourage, and help your husband grow in maturity. He likely isn't perfect. I mean, that's not what my wife thinks about me, but, you know... Uh, I'm kidding, if you could see your face. Um, so one of the main ways God will, uh, will help him grow, including in expressing his own manhood, is through your feminine influence. I see this in marriage. I see this in my marriage all the time, honestly. Uh, at times I will drop the ball, forgetting or failing to take initiative in how we approach our schedule or our finances, although I try to take initiative in those things, sometimes I just drop the ball, and Kristen will kindly encourage me to lead in those areas, and I need her encouragement. At times, I need her rebuke, because sometimes I'm in sin, and my wife is kind to me in those ways. But one of the questions that comes up when talking about femininity in marriage is, how is a woman supposed to, quote, affirm, nurture, and affirm, receive, and nurture her husband's leadership when he's not respectable or when he isn't leading well? Does the wife still have to submit to him? Okay? You understand the question? The answer to that. Uh, we need to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. I'm just going to read it for you. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, should a wife submit to a husband that isn't leading well? The answer is, usually, Yes. I'm going to give you a caveat there. But but the answer is basically, yes, you do. You still need to submit to him. Peter says, if some do not obey the word. So this husband is either disobedient in some way, or most likely Peter is saying that he isn't obeyed the word of the gospel. He's not a Christian. 
And I am not going to sugarcoat it. That is a very difficult situation to endure. He's not regenerate, yet the woman has the responsibility to relate to him in submissive trust and love and follow his authority. Even though his leadership isn't perfect, she will express her femininity by seeking to affirm, receive, and nurture whatever is good about the way he leads the family. In God's common grace, non-believers can still be respectable spouses or parents, and she will seek to win him to the Lord through love, respect, service, and prayer. However, I do want to be very clear that there are situations when a husband steps over the line and a wife should not submit to him. And that's why our definition specifies worthy men. And that's also why I said the answer is, you know, usually, yes, you should submit even when your husband isn't doing the right thing. Um, But no woman should ever follow her husband into sin. Okay? No woman should ever follow her husband into sin. She must join the apostles in the book of Acts when they said, we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. And if a husband becomes abusive and misuses his authority in harmful and hurtful ways, the godly thing to do is not to subject oneself to that, but to seek help immediately. Because the Bible does not condone men who use their authority to harm. It does not condone those men. It condemns those men. It calls them to stop and it calls them to repent. And that's one reason the church has elders. uh, To protect women in such difficult circumstances and to try to discern what would be best to do and to stand in and protect those women if necessary. That's why there needs to be elders in a local church. So, we've seen that this feminine disposition to affirm the leadership of a worthy man is crucial in marriage. It will also take place as women follow the leadership of men who are elders in the local church. But what about other contexts? In areas where submission isn't prescribed. We should not be surprised to find that women express their femininity by encouraging the men around them to exercise their masculine response to provide for and protect others. Similar to our helping with a lowercase h that we talked about earlier, women will use their relational disposition to encourage men in motherly or sisterly ways. So a woman who's not Joe's wife, just let me be clear, a woman who's not Joe's wife shouldn't submit to Joe, okay? But she can and should encourage Joe Uh, exhort Joe, pray for Joe, and offer Joe advice on how he can do a better job as a man seeking godliness. She can even rebuke Joe in love. It would be crazy for Joe not to welcome that from a sister in Christ. Uh, But she isn't to submit to Joe if Joe isn't her husband. Uh, Does that, let me just pause there and and ask questions and then we're going to get to the time you've all been waiting for. Questions? Carol? What do you mean? Ah, yeah, there's an overlap there. There's certainly an overlap. The question is, what do we do in a case of an elder? So all the brothers and sisters in a local church are called to submit to the authority of the elders. I would still say the submission to the authority of elders is different than the submission to the husband. Um, 
the husband's authority is more primary and the elders more secondary in that sense. But there is a, 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 sub, a submission there, yes. Other questions? Yes. Joe is just a, a made-up person. He could have a wife. He could not have a wife. It doesn't matter. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that a woman should relate to a, a man in as though in all the ways she would relate to her own husband or with the freedom that she would take in relating to her own husband. I'm just saying that a woman can relate to a brother in Christ in the church. She doesn't have to just just be silent because he's a man and she's a woman. I think she should be free to interact with him in appropriate ways and feel free as a sister in Christ to encourage, uh, to pray for um, even at times to say, you know, I'm just not, I'm not sure about that. I was hearing you say this. You know, think about home group. You're in home group, right? And you hear, you hear one brother say something, and you're just like, hmm, I don't know about that. Feel free to just bring it up, right? Because you're a woman, you can't bring it up. No, you definitely could. So I'm not saying you should relate with the same freedom uh, that you would with your husband. Uh, but I'm saying you can relate to him as a brother in Christ openly. Other questions? Can I just say it's a joy to teach this class to this church because I know, I, boy, in so many contexts, I think this would just be a hostile thing to teach. Uh, you know, and I'd be looking to, you know, what bullets are going to come flying my way. Um, but I know in this context that it's, it's not a hostile scenario. In fact, you're just wanting to hear what the Word of God says and you're just wanting to embrace it and receive it and walk in it as best you can. That is a joy and a privilege as a pastor. Heather? Okay. I would say that I think that, and first of all, we shouldn't be surprised because the waters that we swim in in the culture will always begin to find themselves in, in trends in the culture will, will become trends in the church over time. And that's why we need to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, take all of our thoughts captive to Christ and tear down strongholds and speak clearly the word of God in our generation for the particular struggles and trials and confusion that our 
particular generation has. So I say that to say we're in a particular generational and cultural moment where any and all authority in every single way is being assailed. Would you agree with that? Almost all authority is absolutely being assailed. So even at a just societal level in, in general, any societal office that has authority over others is absolutely being assailed right now. And it's a, it's a genius uh, trick of the devil uh, to make us think that authority is all bad. Uh, and so I would say... And, and so if you're in that cultural moment, then you're likely to look at authority both in the church and in the home kind of askew and with some hesitation and see it uh, or, or see it as, as, okay, yeah, God says this, but let's not focus on that or, um, or just be a little bit nervous about it. I would just say if you're talking with a Christian and you perceive that's going on, I think the helpful thing to do is to just say, is to just help that person recognize, you know what, I think that the whole world sees authority as bad. But don't, can't we agree that authority is inherently good? It can be abused. But God's authority is good. Governmental authority is good. Boy, that's a bad word right now. Um, right? Law enforcement is good. Boy, that's a real bad word right now. Um, uh, authority in the home is good and authority in the church is good. Let's not think authority is bad. Let's recognize authority is good. Let's recognize authority is a blessing and let's lean into it and not lean out from it. I would just think knowing that that's where the culture is so we all are affected by thoughts in our culture, I think trying to identify that's where that's coming from and then just beginning to speak to that might be a way to go. Other questions? Well, I want to invite Cheryl up. I want to, with our remaining time, I want us to hear from a sister in the church about how she has sought to live out these principles. Cheryl, come on up here. And I'm going to turn this on. Ooh, excellent. Okay, Cheryl. not have time for all these questions, but we'll try for as many as we can get to. Can you describe a challenge you have faced when it comes to embracing this biblical summary of femininity? Are there aspects of what we covered today that, was, that were harder for you at first? And how did God help you to grow in appreciating and valuing his design? not overstepping my boundaries. So, um, things, two things I thought of that have helped me grow in this area. The first one is honestly just learning my Bible better. If I know what God's overall plan is, then it's a lot easier to 
as I learn that plan to align my life with it. So being under good teaching, um, having solid Bible studies in home group and other places, and just over the years learning and applying to my life what the Bible has to say has been a big help. Um, the other thing that has helped is having godly men be good examples to me. I've had, if you were here last week, I mentioned that I've had in my past some poor examples from men in leadership. So having godly men example to me what it looks like to lovingly lead me has also been extremely helpful. It is a lot easier to follow somebody who is being, um, where you can tell that, that that's their heart, that their heart is to love you and to serve you. It's very much easier to love them and serve them and help them and follow them than it is somebody who's being domineering. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. So you're, you're saying if you can, obviously, if you know that uh, the men in your life, obviously, clearly your husband, but then also your pastor and your elders, if you really perceive that they are for your flourishing, it yes. obviously makes it easier for you to submit to their authority. Yes, Absolutely. How, how would you say, well, I guess you, I, well, let's let's answer these questions, and then I actually want to just give you opportunity to ask Cheryl a question if you have questions. Except Abby. <laughs> Thinking back to when you were a single woman, Cheryl, what are some of the ways you sought to make cult, that you, what are some ways you sought to cultivate life in others and help them flourish whether in your job, your various friendships, or your involvement in the local church. That was a long time ago. Well, it's okay. Think back. What are some ways you sought to cultivate life in others? Help some them of flourish. the things that I thought of, um, <clears throat> I've always loved children, so this won't come as a surprise to a lot of you, but um, I always found children to adopt, <laughs> children to love, children to take care of um, children to tutor I uh, enjoyed teaching a long time ago as well uh, in college I was the one in my dorm that all the girls would come to for advice unfortunately they didn't usually like what I had to say because I was a believer and they were not usually but I did not go to a Christian school but for some reason they came to me so it was um, hard I did not feel up to the task. We did not have a campus ministry at my school. I didn't have a lot of help, but the desire was there. I wanted to I wanted to help these girls. I tried to unsuccessfully to start Bible studies and uh, they never lasted, but the 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 heart was there. That's what I wanted to do. So you're really saying you tried to cultivate life through just speaking and encouraging God's word to other people in the context of their daily lives as you had opportunity. That's yeah. really what you're saying. Yes. Uh, with the second piece. But then with the first piece, you're just saying you you just love kids, so you find kids to adopt. And yeah, I, I still do that. Yeah, you still do that. And so actually you did that with my kids yeah. when, we were, uh, when we moved here. Before we moved here, we started to get postcards in the mail as soon as uh, I was called to pastor here and that vote went through and the elders called me. As soon as that happened, we began to get postcards, uh, we being our kids. 
individually addressed to Ethan and to Levi and to Naomi with letters, letters from Mrs. Ziegler. And from other people too. Um, well, yes, but come on, let me talk about you for well, a second. That's true. It um, wasn't just me. Um, but she just wrote postcards to our kids and told them about life in Vermont and told them how excited she was to get to know them and for them to come and be a part of Redeeming Grace Church. You know, love Mrs. Ziegler. You know, look forward to getting to know you. So my kids were just, that's a very practical way that was cultivating life in, uh, in my kids. So you adopted my kids in that way and then gave them much ice cream, which I ate much of as well. Thank you. That was Ken. <laughs> I did gain 20 pounds my first year as a pastor, and I think that's partly because of you. Um, that was I, Ken, not me. Ken. Uh, yeah. I've gotten a little self-control over it now. Okay. Now, as a wife, what are some things that you practically do to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership in your hubby? This is something I don't think I do very well. Okay. But... Um, the first thing that I thought of was, and, and obviously I've grown in this over the years. Um, I'm sure Ken could give you some really horrible stories from our early years of marriage. But the first thing I thought of was to just love him well. Just really love him. As my love for him strengthens and grows, it is easier to follow him. It is easier to um, encourage him. It is just because I love him. I want to see him succeed. Um, the second thing I thought of was learning contentment. Contentment in my position, contentment with physical things, contentment with everything. When I'm content with where God has put me, I'm not going to fight so much against the things that he's asked me to do. And one of those is to submit to my husband. So learning contentment has been a really big thing. Mm. On a practical level, I mean, I just try to thank him for what he does for us, for me. I, um, I make sure he knows how much I appreciate that. And I always try to ask his advice on things, even if it's a decision that doesn't, that's really kind of all about me. I still want his advice. I want his input. And he has good advice to give. You know, it's interesting, this morning in my pastoral prayer, I prayed for contentment, specifically for the sisters at our church. Um, and I did not know you were going to say that. Surprise. Hmm? Surprise. Yeah. So, what would you say to men at RGC who want to grow in serving, treasuring, and valuing women? What do we tend to misunderstand about women, you alien creatures? And how can we best <laughs> encourage you to pursue the kind of femininity that we have talked about in today's class. How do you know you, that we're the aliens? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> One thing that I think that, that we all want, and the, the men of RGC generally do a very good job at this, but we want you to value our opinion. Um, we're often asked for our opinion, we're often asked for our input and our insight, but we want to feel like you give it equal weight. We want you to really think about it, because it's going to be extremely different from where you're coming from, and that's kind of the whole point. Um, I think it was Tim Ebers said something about how he is so grateful for Liz and what she 
gives to him and her, her insight because she picks up on things that, that he doesn't pick up on. And in that way, they make a good team. So we, so we want you to ask for our input, but we also want you to value that input and not just toss it aside because it's different from yours or, um, you know, the whole attitude that most of our men do not have. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Um, and another thing is we want to be taught. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to... And for if there's any other women that feel this way, why aren't you doing the on-mission class? <laughs> it's not too late. Um, the on-mission class... I did not pay you anything. No. I didn't even encourage that. No, he didn't. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. But uh, the on-mission class, I took it two years ago, and I'm doing it again this year, and I learned so much, and it was so helpful. And I don't think I realized how hungry I was for that until I took the on-mission class. You know, and I want to go back to the first thing you said. I, I think I can point to, it, at times, I mean, my wife and I might get sideways with each other for various different reasons, but I I know that at times when we may be sideways with each other, it might often be because, uh, or it has often been because, she isn't really perceiving that I am listening to her, that I'm instead just kind of wanting to just just move on. Uh, and if my wife perceives that I'm not really hearing her, um, that tends to be when we will have a significant argument and, and we'll just be sideways with each other. But mm-hmm. it's, it's oftentimes because she's not perceiving I'm really in the game with her. Yeah. I don't know if any other men can identify with that. No, okay, all right. <laughs> Well, what questions do you have for Cheryl or for me? And we could just we could just go back and and forth. Heather, can you speak up just a hair? That's a good word. Sonia? I have a question. Um, it kind of goes to something that you said, but it's kind of for sure. Um, you talked about how um, if there's ever a time when you, know, you and Kristen are talking, she might like encourage you kindly, or like if you happen to be upset about something, she might rebuke you. And I'm not saying that Jimmy sins. But I'm just saying, if you're Approach that in a kind way because I feel like that is, you know, a good way to 
that's hard because I run away from confrontation, which is not good. But I know that the few times that that this has happened, I think the first thing that I did was to be careful to let the situation completely defuse because I couldn't be angry at him and be loving at the same time. Are you thinking of a, like a way that he sinned against you? I guess so. I guess so. If, um, maybe we should let him answer this. I don't know. <laughs> well, I could speak. Ken's like, what was the question? Uh, uh, so... Uh, I could, I could speak to that in regards to how yeah. I think my wife has wisely approached me is uh, if, if she's concerned about something, she, has, uh, she will let me know that she'd just like to speak with me about something that's concerning her. And she, she kind of just gives me a heads up. She's like, you know, I just want to let you know there's something that's bothering me, either about our relationship or something that I'm worried about about you. And I'd just like to talk to you about that. And I'm wondering if maybe we could do that later tonight or maybe tomorrow. And she just kind of gives me a heads up. And she says it just like that. And then I'm like, oh, okay, we need to talk. Okay, good, all right, yeah. So it immediately kind of just puts me in a frame where, all right, I need, we need to talk. So that's a helpful way, for me at least, that my wife approaches me. Humbly, kindly, I know that she's for me. I also know that she sees more of me than anybody else. So I need to take very seriously the things that she says. I also, the other thing that I thought of was that often I have also sinned, so I have to also go to him and ask forgiveness at the same time. It's, it's normally it takes two of us, and usually we've both sinned, so. Kristen typically doesn't sin at all, so. That's just true. Me. Good. Other questions? <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh, you're bound to have questions. You're just... Being shy. We got a couple more minutes. Levi? If you're the husband and you don't know if you've done something wrong, but but maybe mom thinks I've done something wrong, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Is that the question, Levi? Yeah? Well, I think I always have to be honest. So I need to be honest with myself and make sure I'm not just being defensive or prideful and, uh, and not being open to what mom has to say. But then I also just want to be honest. And if I don't see anything that I've particularly done wrong, 
then I don't want to say that I've done something wrong when I don't think that I have, and Mom and I just need to keep talking about it and uh, helping each other to understand what the other is thinking, and then we just need to be honest with each other and figure out what's going on. That's what I'd say. Yeah. That's wrong, but then you let me know that your intent is not what you intended when you said A, and I have to let you determine what you intended. Yes. That's right. Honestly, good, good and honest communication is, it, that has been the, I mean, lifeblood of our marriage is, is, learning how to communicate humbly and honestly and uh, walking through that process together, mm-hmm. not allowing there to be, um, uh, oh, what's it called? You know, if there's a, a, a particular topic that you just can't talk about, eggshell topics, like we don't allow eggshell topics in our house, in our marriage. We don't allow those. Like I would, And I would encourage you, if you're married, don't allow eggshell topics, the topic of which you will not talk about. Um, like you need to work through that and you need to figure out how to at least be able to talk about that even if you don't agree on a particular solution you need to at least be able to talk about these things um, for your marriage sake Um, so man I'd say communication for us has just been huge to our marriage flourishing Uh, huge listen to Brad's sermon for a good refresher on godly communication it's not just appropriate for uh, matters of church unity, it's appropriate for uh, mer- matters of marital flourishing. And it's a, it's a good, beefy sermon. So go and listen to that to refresh yourself about good communication. Beefy. Cheryl, as a, as a woman who is raised to young women, what advice would you have for uh, parents uh, raising up young women, hmm. girls, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. How, how can we best support our young women um, as, as you are just, you're, you've reached the stage of life where you can check that box and say you've successfully done Not that. quite. <laughs> um, I think a big thing for us has been my willingness to confess my sin to my daughters and teach them by my bad example as well as my good. Um, Teach them how to deal with things when you mess up. Teach them how to get rid of anxiety. Teach them how to, um, well, (laughs) teach them how to not make the same mistakes I made because they'll make their own. But uh, that's been a big part of it. Another thing is I've, I've not always been successful at this, but I have honestly tried to never, ever talk badly about their father to them. I've tried to always make sure that what I said about their... Even if I was upset with him, I would just, you know, say nothing versus talk about him in a negative way because I wanted them to love him and respect him no matter what. And I think they've learned more from him 
than they have from me as far as being a godly woman because he's taught them what a godly man looks like. So I think that's been just as much, if not anything else. Ken was not raised by Christians either. But God has changed him and made him into a godly husband and father. So I don't think that the fact that Jimmy wasn't raised by Christians is necessarily a detriment. He can still be that kind of a dad. He can still, and and Cora will be watching how he treats you, and that's what she's going to look for, hopefully. And you can encourage that by saying, you see that? That's, that's what you want. You want a man who is this way and that way. And if for some reason Jimmy fails in some respect, which I don't expect he will, there are other men in this church that you can point to. And you can say, that's the kind of man. And, and I used to point to other older couples in our church. And I would say, you see how those two relate to each other. But... I had to be careful, though. I had a nice long laundry list of my future sons-in-law. <laughs> Got to be careful not to do that. That's not helpful. All right. Let me, let me pray for us. And if you have other questions, then feel free to ask. But we'll, we'll, we'll close it down for the night. Father, I just thank you for uh, giving us the gift of so many godly women in this church. I want to thank you, Lord, for my wife, for Cheryl, and for every woman in this room who loves the Lord Jesus and who seeks to walk in the grain of the gender that you have given them. Lord, these women are such a blessing to our church. Uh, I have no doubt such a blessing to their families. We thank you, Father, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.